At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 612th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm, and I'm here with a really cool person, Emily Rocky. Hello, Emily. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Emily and I, how long have we known each other for? Maybe five years, six years? Uh, more, more like uh, seven. Seven years. Wow. So Emily came to us from a company called Tanks Green Stuff down in Tucson that was taking brush and sticks and consumer waste and making it into compost. And that's where Emily and I got to meet, which was really cool. Yes. Yes. We, we bonded immediately on soil. <laughs> right, which is what we're talking about today. So let me get your bio out here. And Emily studied plant sciences at the U of A, University of Arizona, focusing on controlled environment agriculture to optimize food production in indoor greenhouse systems. Then the incredible power of rich, true soil drew her to grow food in the ground, go figure. And she served as an intern on organic farms in the US and Italy. During her 17 years in Arizona, Emily has worked in nonprofits and businesses focused on sustainability, gardening, and promotion of compost and soil health. In April, 2020, Emily became the garden supervisor at Mission Garden in Tucson, Arizona, a four acre living agriculture museum, which invites the public to learn about our local multicultural history, sustainability, and organic gardening, and the environment. Prior to her role at Mission Garden, she represented Tanks Green Stuff, a local organic compost manufacturer and recycling company. At home, she enjoys wild harvesting, trail, trail running, didn't know that, and travel. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk more about soil. Right? As always. Yeah, exactly. So what is healthy soil? Let's just start there. Let's just dig in, pun intended. Let's just dig in and talk about what makes up healthy soil. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, first of all, we need to, to make sure that no one is referring to soil as dirt. You know, right? it's not dirt. It's soil because soil contains living microorganisms. It contains air and water and minerals as well as organic matter. And so that's the rich earthy goodness that you mm -hmm. can all tell whenever you pick up a handful of soil and you know it's good, that's soil. And yeah. dirt is something you might find on the floor inside the house that got or mud that got brought in. But but that's a really good thing to think about first. But you might have heard me mention like air and water when we describe mm -hmm. soil. And I just want to kind of start there because those are two components that a lot of people forget about mm -hmm. um, that you can't just have this like brick, hard brick of clay. 
You know, plants cannot live on clay alone, nor, nor organic matter, compost. You know, it's all about balance. And I think that that's the, the most important foundation. Um, it's not, it's not uh, rocket science, it's earth. And um, so mm-hmm. when we're trying to recreate the, the, the ideal growing soil in our backyards, in our gardens, then we just need to remember the big basics. And so making sure that we're feeding the soil and the microbes in the soil, which um, I did also list the microbiology as um, part of the soil is just as important as the air, the water, the physical or the mineral components, Mm -hmm. the organic matter. That is what makes up healthy soil. Got it. And I always I've said for years that, in fact, interestingly enough, before I said five components, I used to say there was four components of healthy soil. And you mentioned them kind of dirt. I call that it's broken down rock, right? It's usually highly compacted airspace, water, uh-huh. organic matter. Yeah. Right. And the fifth piece that I added maybe six or eight years ago was everything that's alive in the soil. That's so right. basically you've mentioned all of those. Exactly. Let's talk about soil compaction really quickly before we go any further and why, why it's important not to walk on your soil. Exactly. And it's, Mainly because when you when you compact the soil, you lose the airspace that we've mm-hmm. um, we've been talking about just in a couple minutes here. The importance of air. Now, why are why is air so important? I mean, don't the plants need kind of the air around them, the oxygen mm-hmm. and the carbon dioxide around them? Well, they do, and they also need it in their root zone because those roots literally respire. They actually take in gases through their roots. And so if, if it's just really hard and dense and compact, you're not going to have very good success because they have to have the air or what we refer to as porosity or pore space. Oh, ooh, you know, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> porosity is for air and also for some water to take up that those spaces. Mm-hmm. Obviously, water is also held on to the spongy part of the soil the organic matter and in some of the the mineral components like the clay, especially clay soil can hold on to water, sand, not so much, right? We all know that water moves through sand pretty quickly, but but the porosity holds on to water and uh, allows for the airspace to exist. Got it. All right. So back to, so we agree then there's five components. Did I miss anything? Not at all. Yeah. Those microbes that you added, the, the living part of the soil, also referred to as the soil, you know, part of the soil food web, um, oh, going yes. from those little critters that, that crawl around in the soil and, you know, including some that I'm not as big a fan of, like when they're eating my plant roots, but, things <laughs> right. like, you know, grubs or, or other bugs. Gophers. Are, yeah. Or who? Gophers. Gophers. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, they're all part of the natural ecosystem. And so I kind of send my love there nonetheless. But so the, you know, everything that we can see, like those types of critters, as well as earthworms that we love, thank mm-hmm. them for the work they're doing. We're going to talk a little bit about compost, I think, probably, and why they're important in the soil as the, the little composters. But then going down to all the little guys that we cannot see, but the soil is teeming with life. And those are going to be your microbes, the fungi, and your bacteria. And I like to also think about them in the soil similarly as I think about them in my gut. 
and your gut oh, too. Yes. And I bet of some of our listeners, uh, almost everyone has become aware of the benefits of eating some probiotic foods, like maybe some yogurt or some kimchi or some kombucha. Or carrots directly from your garden with a little oh, bit of dirt on them. I did that today. Right. That's, it tastes so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't die yet. <laughs> right. Well, and that's one of the that's one of the important things of, har- of growing your own food and harvesting it and bringing it in and eating it. You still have the bioflora, the flora, biological flora of your yard and your soil on that stuff. Yes. That you you bring in and you consume it, and that's really important, right? Yeah, I think that some of us have probably heard about the benefits of soil on on our mental state, and they've oh. actually done some pretty significant studies finding that those, uh, the smell of, and all, I think it's not just the smell and the aroma, but also all of the microbiology that exists in the soil around us that is quite literally antidepressant for your brain. So yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff and it just feels good. So yeah, I I definitely agree that you should expose yourself to good soil every day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. So now we know what healthy soil is. When you say good soil, what do you mean? Yes. Well, definitely good soil, meaning that it contains the, the five components we just talked about mm-hmm. and that we're, we're taking care of that soil. I mm-hmm. advocate, and I know you, Greg, and the Urban Farm advocates for using organic methods Only. because um, you put the good stuff in and you're going to get good results. Now, I use the word, you know, when you say what is good soil, that's really open for interpretation because it depends on what you're trying to grow. You know, here in Arizona, when I'm prepping a bed, if I'm trying to plant some prickly pear and some choya so I can harvest those choya buds and those prickly pear, it's going to be a very different soil than when I'm preparing for planting my my leafy greens or my Mm -hmm. tomatoes, right? And so good is relative. But I always err on, you know, looking to the plant and looking to nature and trying to mimic that. So if a cactus, I'm on the extreme end or the polar end as an example, but the right. cacti don't need a whole lot of organic matter in mm-hmm. the desert here. So I'm not going to put that much organic matter in the soil. In that case, not as much compost. You maybe have heard of that phrase, strive for five. That refers to that 5% that we're kind of going for in organic matter in that those components of about 20, a quarter air, a quarter water, about 45% mineral or that um, physical sand, silt, and clay that we all have heard about. And then the 5% is that organic matter. Uh, And so really, sorry for the long answer, but good is up open for interpretation. It depends on what you're trying to grow. Well, and one of the things that makes it good is that you're buying local soil. Isn't that important? I think so. I do. And for many reasons. Number one, like, you know, soil is kind of heavy, you know, mm-hmm. and so shipping is really expensive. And I've I've quite literally seen people buy soil from states away and it's really right. expensive. And so it's uh, it's also just a lot of use of, of uh, fossil fuels. But buying local in general is really good. It's good to, to support your local producers, avoid those distant big box stores. But buy local because of, I think that the microbiology that exists in your local compost and in your local soil is, is going to work for you best. Similar right. if you're making sourdough bread, you know, like 
have you heard of that? Like the, the sourdough strains in San Francisco, you know, they exist there because they're native to there. Similar, you know, I always yeah. think about food. I'm always thinking about food. But why right. because those microbes exist there natively and um, you don't have to work. You wouldn't have to worry about that, that microbiology, that flora getting established in your garden. It's already there. Yeah. You know, besides that, it's just great to work with the local suppliers for them. Hi, local. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Paulette has a great question. And that is, is it possible to add too much compost to your soil? Yes, it definitely is. Because we've, we've talked about that percentage that you want for organic matter in the soil, mm -hmm. which is 5%. Now, plants do take up organic matter. They take up those nutrients through their roots so that they can grow shoots and leaves and fruit. So we pick that fruit and eat it. And they don't just like keep manufacturing more plant material, more leaves and, and branches from soil, right? You have to replace those nutrients. And mm -hmm. so oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hear people complain that something isn't growing well. They're wondering why are my, my, my plant that looks kind of stunted. And I ask them like, when did you last feed the soil? And they said, you know, I, I, I haven't really, I can't remember the last time I fertilized that tree. And I say, well, you picked all those oranges from it, or you harvested all those apples, or you picked all those greens. But if you don't put that, the, the nutrients back into the soil, we're just taking, right? Yeah. And so can you over compost was the question. So I want to get back to that. So there's a balance. You want to like add a compost and add fertilizer each time that you plant and often even more frequently uh, throughout the season, depending on the crop's uh, needs. But in general, depending also on how established my beds are, so I'll break that down in a second, I may add compost and fertilizer every season, or mm -hmm. I may add compost and fertilizer once a year. And if I'm in my orchard, like where I'm sitting right now, I'm going to be feeding that soil several times a year because these trees, uh, they grow really fast. Yep. And um, the soil just will get de depleted of nutrients. And the microbes that are eating up the organic matter in the soil are hungry constantly. And so I'm using these organic methods that require me to feed the soil, put that good organic matter there, put the good fertilizers, organic fertilizers in there and allow the microbes to break that down. They're like literally like mowing it into their, into their little microbial mouths and literally pooping it out of their little microbial booties. And the plants then take it up. It's uh -huh. like, it's truly what's going on. Or if you want, if it's easier to think about it as an earthworm, like munching and munching and it comes out the other end is what we as gardeners car call like rich garden gold, right? Black, yes. black worm castings. That's like readily available nutrients. Yeah. And so can you over compost? Yes. And it really depends on the soil that you're starting with yeah. and how, what you're growing in that soil. But in general, like, you know, once a year to once every season, my older beds, I don't have to feed as often because I've built up this, this bank, this nutrient bank, mm -hmm. and the soil is nice and rich. So it's going to take a little bit of time. So you said something curious that kind of piqued my interest recently, and that is fertilizing the soil. I'd always thought that we were fertilizing the plants. Yep. And you said fertilize the soil, and you said that a moment ago as well. What does that mean? 
Yes. So plants need a mediary, an intermediary. They need help in breaking down those nutrients. They, they quite literally have kind of a microbial rhizosphere. It's like this zone right around the root tip. And that is where all the magic happens. The microbes take up those, take in those uh, organic matter, those, those fertilizers, mm-hmm. and they have a symbiotic relationship with the plant. The plant actually puts out a kind of a bait, which we call an exudate, um, oh, yes. meaning, meaning just mm-hmm. that it's exuded from the plant. And they, the plant uh, root puts out the exudate and the microbes are attracted to that. It's sugars and foods. A lot of people don't know that so much of the carbohydrates and sugars that are generated in photosynthesis from the sun, mm-hmm. most of those sugars actually go down to the roots. They don't just go like from mm. the sun, you know, generating from the sun to the leaves and the, and the, and the plants up top. They're actually going down to the roots to feed the microbes in the soil so that they can keep this cycle going. And so it's, it's uber important to take care of those microbes because they're literally doing all the all of the work. And again, back to parallel in the body and the human body, isn't it quite similar? I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor, but I mm-hmm. think that 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 gut flora has to be there in order for us to digest our food. Oh, so absolutely. Quite exact. Yeah, quite similar. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So four three three nine two three M is asking. What about worm castings? And you mentioned worm castings a minute ago. We yes. call them gardener's gold. One of the things, the reasons that I like to add worm castings is because there's usually worm eggs that come with them, right? Exactly. That's a, a, a peak perk benefit is yeah. that when you have the worm castings, there's baby little wormies in there. And that mm-hmm. keeps that cycle going. A really big benefit of worm castings is microbial you know, that it's so full oh, of good yeah. microbes. And so yep. not only are you inoculating your garden with worms and future worms, but you're also inoculating your garden with beneficial soil microbes, mm-hmm. um, fungal and bacterial that we've been talking about as being so critical to soil and plant health. But of course, earthworms are the decomposers in the soil. Yeah. So when we put that compost into the soil, the microbes, including earthworms as well, all of the, the soil food webs, they munch up that organic matter and poop it out into that worm casting that's readily available for uptake because it's fully composted through the system of the worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. All right, cool. So, I love worms. I like quite, oh, yeah. quite honestly, everyone that works around me knows that when I have found a worm, because it's a, it's a squeal of joy. <laughs> Gotta love it. This is a curious question. Andrew wants to know, where do the soil nutrients come from in nature, natural ecosystems like forests and prairies? Can, oh, and can we replicate this without adding compost? Thank you so much for asking that question. I love, love when yeah. we listen to nature. Yep. Um, because she really kind of does it right, <laughs> like 100% of the time. Right. Um, so the thing that nature has on us and the earth has on us is like, oh, just billions of years, you know, like lots of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. That she's been able to to work out these systems. Whereas when we pop up a raised bed garden and we're like ready to grow today and we dump some soil in, that's a lot uh, that hasn't had enough time to really work up a full bank of biologicals, the microbes and, and the mm-hmm. beneficials in there 
but also that compost, we have to just kind of dump it in there. And if you were to stick a shovel into a nice forested, you know, forest floor and pull back those layers, you could literally see the big chunky leafy stuff on top. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll bring out my little tray here. Um, big sticks and twigs. You would probably be able to see some bugs or some other little critter that maybe has passed away there. And then as you go down in the layers, you're going to see, you know, smaller, finer particles. Mm-hmm. And as that it breaks down and we dig deeper into the soil, it's going to look more like rich compost and uh, it's going to be fully broken down. And that's where the root zone is. Yeah. And so really it's about being patient and, and mimicking this system in our own landscapes and trying to recreate what, what mother nature does. So thank you. Thank you for wanting to do that. Let's all aim for that, that yeah. goal. Yeah. So Andrew, typically what happens with the new houses in my neighborhood is they scrape the dirt completely clean. So you have dirt, they take out all the life, they take out of everything. So that's where we have to start now in my yard. I don't add a lot. I've been here 32 years. I don't add a lot of things anymore because a lot of that process is already working. And so you just have, we have to work through that. Yeah. We just have to work through this. And something that I like to talk about and and teach is a practice called chop and drop. Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of fun to say also, and and to do chop it and drop it. So you, instead of taking things out of our, out of our landscape, or cleaning up as it might be called or considered by somebody that's mowing and blowing and uh, mm-hmm. landscaping. What you're doing is taking out and removing that really important link of the cycle and recycling, which nature does by dropping those leaves, maybe dropping fruit and allowing it to naturally decompose and compost right in place. And so how is our garden supposed to naturally replenish those nutrients if we're taking them out and loving them to the curb and putting them into a landfill, landfill which is right. even worse. I mean, yeah. at the at at least I would hope that it would go to a composting facility because, but don't even get me started on, on all the things <laughs> that happen when organic matter goes to waste in the landfill. Please don't right? do it. Yeah, exactly. So this is a very curious question that I think I know the answer to because I've used it in the aquarium industry before. Barbara says, I've heard that hydrogen peroxide can be added to soil to add oxygen. Have you heard of this? You know, I know that hydrogen peroxide has antimicrobial benefits, yeah. right? For like when we use it maybe on our, uh, you know, when we have a wound or something. And so I, I actually have not heard of adding hydrogen peroxide to the soil. But when I think about um, kind of conceptually, and correct me, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Greg, but I err on the side of not killing anything in the soil. Oh, Um, yes, of course, because hydrogen peroxide would do that. I don't know for sure, but just uh, that's kind of off the cuff. I've I've not heard of that, and I'll have to write it down. When I was a lot younger, many decades ago, we used to go collect fish wild fish and bring them home. And one of the things that I did is I took hydrogen peroxide and dumped it, you know, a couple of capfuls into the container with the fish. And it was supposedly helped them breathe because hydrogen peroxide, you put it in water, it becomes water and oxygen. Uh-huh. So that's what I know about that. So great question. Jody says, what is the optimal, optimal combination of soil for growing food in containers? 
Same ratio as mentioned already, or is it different? That's a great question. I like to think about, you know, am I growing a small tree or uh, something that's going to be long term in that container? Mm -hmm. Or am I growing something that's like just a seedling that I'm going to pop into the ground really soon? So also this makes me think it's a really good question. It makes me think about that transition. I've discovered, especially in our desert soils here, but I imagine like really anywhere in the U.S. that this concept would be applicable is Mm -hmm. that you um, you want to maintain a similarity between those two soils because otherwise there's some real like some physics that get involved with water movement and osmosis. Mm -hmm. And if those two materials are too different, then the plant is going to have trouble transitioning from the container to the, to the outdoor native soil or in ground. Do you know what I mean? So again, like there's not a, a one size fits all answer here, but your question is a great one. And in general, absolutely follow those principles of around 25% air, about 25% water and and water holding ability. So like the sponginess of the soil and then the the components that are mineral. So let's break those down for, you know, components that you might be able to purchase or get locally and incorporate into a mix. So for air, you know, some options might be like a perlite or a vermiculite or a pumice stone or Mm. lava cinders, those kind of things that create airspace. For the water holding ability, there's things like sphagnum peat moss, which to be honest with you, I really don't use peat at all. I have a whole soapbox on that. Just Google it, you know, why you shouldn't use peat because I don't want to waste our time on that. <laughs> but um, it's a non-renewable and not yeah, big time. So the medium that I like to use is, is cocoa fiber and it's called cocoa core or core. It's the husk of the coconut. It's a byproduct of the coconut industry and it's a renewable in that way. And it is magnificent at holding water and providing that lovely moisture holding capacity. And it doesn't break down for a really long time. So I like it a lot in containers that are going to be lasting on my on my patio or my oh, yes. long term. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So and then remember that that organic matter needs to be in there too. So good organic matter would be compost, worm castings, and any type of organic fertilizer. So make sure that anything in a container gets food because those roots oh, are yeah. fine. Yeah, that's huge. If you're growing in containers, you have to fertilize more regularly. Correct. Yes, yeah. um, because you have to water them a little more frequently in general as they mm-hmm. dry out more quickly than you would in ground. Right. And so every time you water to, to give the proper moisture that the plant needs so it doesn't wilt, then you're leaching those nutrients. And you can see it when it runs out the bottom of the pot. If you're watering correctly, it should water out, water come out the bottom of the pot. And you can see that color of the water should be like a brown color. And so those are some nutrients that you're losing. Right. So you got to feed, feed the soil, feed the soil. There you go. Paulette, you rock. She says, oh my gosh, I love Emily. You can feel her love and enthusiasm for the soil and its life. She is exciting to listen to. Thank you for bringing her to us. I'm excited to be here and thank you for, thank you for being here and, and loving the soil too. Yeah. All right. So Denver says, uh, hello, if one is trying to adhere to a no-till method, when one tops the beds with compost, should one do some mixing? 
Oh, such a good question. This yes, is exactly is. where we were headed, I think. I felt it with mulching. Yes. I love yes. mulch. I, you know what? Um, when I practice my no-till in, in my fields and in my beds here at the Mission Garden, where we really, really strive for all organic methods and caring for the soil, reducing erosion of that soil, and no-till is, is a method to do that. I do place the compost on top, but I do mix it in a little bit, like like we're talking inches, like just a couple of inches, because mm -hmm. I have found that that really helps to get that um, that soil kind of just like established or the compost established there. Otherwise, it can sometimes just sort of sit a little bit on the top. And that's, you know, if you were to throw a, a half an inch of compost, it would definitely get assimilated pretty quickly. Don't get me uh -huh. wrong. But when I'm um, like clear of bed and I'm wanting to add that amendment and place the compost like a good inch or two on there, depending on the needs of that soil, um, then I like to mix it in just a little bit with like a hard garden rake. And not, mm -hmm. uh, we're not talking about uh, turning over the soil or rototilling or something like that. We're, yeah. we're just mixing in a little bit. And furthermore, especially in dry climates, compost can become a little hydrophobic just, just because of our, our conditions. But really any, and not just arid climates, but if that compost has been sitting for a little while and it hasn't rained, maybe it's going to be a little hydrophobic. And I'm going to take us on another food tour really quick. This is so similar to when you're making pancakes or bread and you put the water or the milk into the flour and that water just kind of beads up on top of the flour, right? And you have yes. to mix it. So that's really, really similar when I put that compost down. Compost on top, yep. Yep, then I just need to kind of get it into the soil just a tiny bit. So that's what that's what I do. And as well with, with fertilizers. Cool. Here's a very specific question. Joanne says, what is the space spacing for garlic? Square foot gardening says four to nine garlic plants per square foot. You could easily do that. Oh, per square foot. Oh man, I gotta like really think about spatial there. But we did four to six inches at Mission Garden. We went like great garlic crazy this year and nice. I loved it. It was the bulbs were massive. I mean, what a gratifying crop to grow. Honestly, you put a little clove in and it becomes this giant bulb. And you know what they say is plant your garlic where you have the worst soil and it'll probably still perform okay for you. Well, I mean, there you go. Nice. Put it in better soil and it does amazing. But but yeah, I did four to six inches and had great results. Nice, nice, nice. How often should we fertilize plants and trees in pots? Yeah, there's a couple approaches here. And I want to ask, actually, Greg, what do you recommend? I was going to say monthly for sure, if not every two weeks, a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. Because like you said, when you put the water in, the nutrients go out the bottom. Exactly. So yeah. that was there's my the, thought. That's the two approaches I was thinking as well. Like you can do a, a small amount pretty much every time or every couple of weeks. Or you could do it a little bit more like seasonally as you would for your mm -hmm. in-ground plants, but more frequently. I, I honestly get a little bit behind myself because four acres, um, interpreting 4,000 years of agricultural history here, I'm always behind. And so I can't say <laughs> that I feed every time, but mm -hmm. I um, routinely, about once a month, I'm throwing in a little handful of that organic fertilizer and Really, this brings up a, a, a question that, so, I mean, a, a concept that wraps back to what we've been talking about with the, the life in the soil and the microbes. It, it's just that it takes time for these 
organic yeah. fertilizers to mm-hmm. break down because the microbes require time to process and take those in and digest them. And so you can't just pour on that, you know, inorganic 10, 10, 10 fertilizer and expect results tomorrow. Like you could do that, but I find a lot of issues with that system and ethically sustainably. And so why not use organic methods that are inexpensive and accessible and really good for the soil? The plants appreciate it. Long-term, you have much better results. And so I, I prefer to do things the way nature does again. And remember that means that you're, she's constantly feeding the soil in cycles little by little. Yeah. So there's, you mentioned non-organic fertilizers. I have somebody in here that says, I do have powder miracle grow fertilizer that is not organic. What's the biggest two reasons we need to use organic fertilizers? Well, I think probably by this point, she could answer that question because what we're talking about is feeding the soil so that it feeds us over time, as opposed to like that quick fix power bar, like Red Bull style of gardening, you know, Mm, that's Um, a good good metaphor. (laughs) What we what we're seeing in many parts of the world is our land is becoming non-arable. It's literally becoming non-farmable. It's done with its useful life because we've taken and not put back in. We've treated the soil in this, like, let's just feed it power bars and Red Bull, since you like that um, that metaphor, instead of giving it the life that it needs to sustain itself over time, following nature's way, you know, so what we're seeing is our soil, you know, being eroded, washed away, blown away, and becoming desolate and um, not even being able to sustain plant life. I know you're all thinking the same thing that I'm thinking that picture in your head of like that dust bowl, like soil that, oh, they used to farm there, but it's not possible anymore. And so really, that's what we're getting down to is like the long term, the long term issues with with following that method. Um, that's not paying attention to nature's way, but also like, let's think about the short term, relatively short term. And that what we've just been talking about is like, if we feed the microbes that are really the ones that are responsible for the uptake of the nutrients and they need constant supply of that good organic matter. It's like, if we just use miracle Grow or something like that, then we're not nurturing the whole system. I want to just bring out one of my favorite books. I brought it along. It's Teeming with Nutrients, Jeff Lowenfeld. Um, oh, yes. He is. I think we had him on the podcast. Oh, I hope so. He is such a fantastic guy. And he's written actually three books. And I love them all. And they literally live on my nightstand. I read them at night. Um, Teeming with nice. Nutrients teeming with microbes and teeming with fungi. There's some great, great organic gardening books, but these three really spell it out so much for me in a very digestible way. And he himself is not a soil scientist by, you know, like for his whole life. He really yeah. is a lawyer, I think. And so fell fell into the love of the soil. So it's in layman's terms. And I really support people reading that and you'll enjoy it. And he's funny too. Cool. So the big reason... One of the my big two reasons for not using uh, non-organic fertilizer is because it's harsh on the microbes. It negatively, the, exactly. the harshness of it negatively impacts yes. the microbes, soil microbes. That we just spent so much time talking about. Right. So we have a bunch of questions. 
Well, can um, I also throw in one more thing? Yes, uh, please. We shouldn't, we shouldn't forget about our bodies. <laughs> so I personally, you know, don't want to eat those chemicals. And I, I don't think that right. they're safe. And uh, yeah. not just for the planet or the soil and the microbes, but for you and me and our families. So, so that's a really big reason to use organic input. Jody says, can you put the title of that book in the chat? Janice, what was the name of it? Maybe Janice can get that for us. Thank you, Janice. Teeming with nutrients. You see all my, my favorite little notes where I've bookmarked yeah. it. <laughs> Teeming with nutrients. All right. So we just have a couple more minutes. I want to see how many of these we can actually get to. All right. Is bone meal organic fertilizer? Absolutely. Yes. yes. Organic meaning anything that has come from a carbonous organic base. So that was once alive is another way to put it. So animal like bone meal or blood meal or feather meal, or it could be a plant plant based like an alfalfa meal or a cottonseed meal or, or, kelp. or kelp meal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So somebody says, what about Osmocote? Now Osmocote looks like a brand. It doesn't look organic to me. It's not. And it's okay. very commonly used in, in the nursery industry. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very good fertilizer for or like for um, containerized plants in the nursery industry. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just a totally different approach. If somebody gave me a bottle of Osmocote, I might use it on like some of my inedibles. Like um, if I had them in a container, you know, just because mm -hmm. I like to <laughs> make use of something. But that's pretty much it. I wouldn't put it in my organic garden. For food, right? For food. Sue says, I was told to leave an eggshell in water and use dried banana peel, dried banana peels in soil for tomatoes. Is that organic? It, definitely organic. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it was once alive, wasn't it? And came from a living living organism. It sounds like a really nice cocktail for this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I um, have a friend that empties his compost bin in a different part of his garden. Like, so he's not growing right here. And in this little spot, he'll take his compost out routinely, bury it, kind of mix it into the soil a little bit. And then next year, he'll rotate his crops over there because why? He's, the, the microbes have had time to compost that organic matter, that plant material, and break it down. And now it's going to be ready for that garden to grow there. Nice. We call that, I call that pit composting. Yeah. Just dig a pit, drop it in, let the microbes do the work. It's very easy. Composting doesn't have to be hard. I know there's lots of compost-related podcasts that you've done. So go check oh, them yeah. out if you want yeah, to get, exactly. get started. It's very easy. Jody says, any experience with homeopathics and water for soil and plants? No, I can't say that I have gotten to dabble in that yet. But another thing I should look into. Oh, there's um, so many things, right? Has anybody asked more about mulch? Because I think that that's such a big one that we should... We should, you know, not um, forget to talk about, and um, we did talk a tiny bit about nature's way of malting, but I think it's something that everybody needs to know a little bit more about. Can we talk about that? Uh, Jane, Jane says, please talk more about mulch. I, I, I do want to touch on one thing. I'm just going to yeah. answer this question real quick. The product Enviro Ice says you can use it as plant food. However, I cannot find the actual components that is in it's comprised of. Please comment. If you don't know the components, don't use it. <laughs> right? That's, yeah. I mean, if you don't know what's in it, don't eat it. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I agree. And I think if you just contact them, I've seen that recently as well um, on some uh, a package of, of uh, ice in a it, that came in a box. You know, if somebody, if people don't know what we're talking about, it's a 
um, an ice that's used for shipping um, to keep something oh, yeah. cool. And they say that it can be used as a as a, as a fertilizer. But yeah, no, 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 don't even go there. If it's not a specific organic fertilizer, I stay away from it. I'm right? gonna look that up too. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, mulch. Difference between mulch and compost. Quickly, because we're kind of we got to wrap it up here soon. Okay, so I brought these along so that people that are watching can see, but I'll describe them. So what you're looking at on one side is a big chunky woody mulchy material what i would call a wood chip mulch and then on the other side is something that is very fine and dark in color and you can't really distinguish between different particle sizes uh, between different particles in there you can't identify oh that's a wood chip or uh, that's a piece of straw right and so yep. compost has been fully composted it's been fully broken down and that's by many months many weeks of time that the microbes have decomposed um, mm -hmm. that organic matter and turned it into rich, you know, garden compost. So you know better than I on this, but if you, this is what I've been telling people. If you grab a handful of something that they're trying to sell you for garden planting mix and or mulch, and there's more than about five to eight percent sticks and leaves and stuff that you can uh, identify that's mulch. It's not compost. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And what do we do with mulch? We put it on top of the soil. Mm -hmm. And what do we do with compost? We put it into In the, the soil. soil. Yep. But also on top, as the as the uh, listener mentioned earlier, that you can apply compost in a no-till system or any system, like in your orchard, especially. You don't turn the compost into into your tree tree soil. You you put it on top and allow that mm -hmm. to just naturally over time break down and go into the soil. But yeah, Greg, you're absolutely right. And um, a lot of times people will try and sell you compost or maybe if you open up a bag of something at a big box store quite often that says compost, it looks like mulch to me. And yep. really the key is that it hasn't been broken down yet. And so it's not ready to go in contact with those roots, right? right. Remember, we've been talking about the essential nature of of the, the organic matter to be broken down in order to be taken back up by the plant. So if I put mulch or wood chips into the soil, for example, in extreme, then the plant is really going to suffer. And I don't have time necessarily to describe that whole chemical process, but mm -hmm. that needs time to break down. Yeah. Big time, and um, right. But I advocate so much for using mulch um, not just um, because I see nature doing it. I see that in, in nature, mm -hmm. but because of the many things that mulch does for us, it really, really insulates the soil in the summertime. It keeps it cool. Right. And that's so important to us in as a, we have a hotter, drier trend in, in this time. And oh, so I, I cover the soil. And that keeps it much cooler in the summer, up to 30 degrees. I know you, you Greg, like to use your, your thermometer. Um, oh, yes. And you point it at the soil. And if you were to point that thermometer at bare soil versus soil that has been covered in mulch, it will be at least 10 degrees cooler in the middle of the day and as yep. much as 30 degrees cooler. And so if your soil's cooler, your root zone and your plant's roots are cooler, and it is not going to be wilting as quickly. It's just yeah. as simple as that. Amen. And then in the wintertime, the same is true. It keeps it warmer, just like you're putting a blanket on the soil for the plant. So, But not just temperature. It's, it mulch is really good for insulating against the sun's rays. Plus, it acts like a sponge. 
Exactly. Plus it breaks down and makes really healthy soil with a lot of microorganisms. Exactly. So you're feeding the soil by mulching. Yes. Cool. So let's see, we've got 14 questions here. Let's see how, so we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do this, right? All right. Can you mulch trees in containers? Absolutely. Do it. Yep. Yep. Diane Brown says, go Emily. Love her. (laughs) Anonymous says, can you use grass clippings for a layer of mulch? How about cardboard? Yes. Yes. I use cardboard, especially over uh, Bermuda grass. And then I layer because I, I don't want Bermuda grass growing in my garden. And so I'll put mm-hmm. cardboard down and, and smother it so it doesn't have the light it needs to grow and then top it with wood chips. And so that's an excellent way to use cardboard in the garden. But grass clippings is a perfect way to mulch. And, and that's back to that chop and drop concept. So if yep. you do have grass in your in your region, chop it and then leave it there. And it will be but a couple of days and it will break down and go back into the soil. So leave it there. Yes. And note that if you're if you've got an invasive grass and it's going to seed, you might want to not use that as mulch. Right. Yeah. Honestly, that is the one time that it's okay to put uh, organic matter or landscape trimmings or, or, or debris like that into the trash because invasives are way worse, way worse of a problem. Or feed them to your chickens. Or feed them to your chickens. Sue says, also, is it safe to or, an organic to crush a calcium pill and put it in a tomato for fertilizer? I guess it depends on the calcium pill. I've never heard that before. She's trying to sidestep uh, tomato end rot. That's a great, great thing to, to know. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, blossom end rot is because of calcium deficiency. Mm-hmm. But, you know, plants have a specific type of a form of calcium. I'm not certain if you could use I bet you you could use it's worth a, an experiment. Yeah, uh, I'll look that up too. You guys have good questions. Yeah, we on Farmer Friday we had somebody uh, Mar- uh, Marlene was talking about uh, blossom end rot in the past couple of weeks. So go back to urbanfarmpodcast.com. Look for Marlene on blossom end rot. That'll be yeah, yeah. That'll I think you cool. can use a bone meal is a good organic for yeah. for uh, the calcium. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I think we're gonna have to wrap it up. Oh, oh my god. We're going to, yeah, I got one more here. We got to touch on this one. Diane says, won't grass clippings left on the lawn build a layer of thatch? You know, I I know just a little bit about grass because we live in the desert and I don't advocate for people growing grass in the desert, but tell me. I have an answer for this. Yes. They go in and they dethatch lawns. They're taking away next year's mulch and then they're putting compost on it. (laughs) <laughs> which seems ludicrous to me. And I've seen, I actually about, check my website, because I wrote an article about this maybe six, seven years ago on, they dethatched, they put a little bit of compost down and they watered it six times a day to make the grass grow. Yee. Because there was nothing to hold on to the water. Right. And they were, it was, it was a mess. That's so, exactly why I don't advocate for growing grass in the desert. Is there you water. go. Yeah, yep, Exactly. All right. You guys have a lot of great questions here. We've answered 22 of them, but we, but we need to wrap this up. Thank you for coming. I wonder, Janice, is there if there's some way to get these questions, because these questions would make a great podcast for Farmer Friday. We're going to get you on Farmer Friday, by the way. Well, Farmer it's a Friday, pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Far, Farmer Friday is a four to 12 minute here. Learn this. So yeah, we'll get you there. Any last thoughts? I'm making screenshots of these so I can uh, 
make sure I trap them and answer them. Thank you for all your great soil questions. Just as a, a reminder to feed the soil, be good to your soil, be good to your body and uh, be good to the earth. And, and uh, those systems, those systems know best. Yeah. <laughs> One of the attendees says, could we expand these sessions to 90 minutes? I want to get you to do a whole course on soil. We've been talking about this. So one of these days I'm going to get you. And, and we'll <laughs> you have know, lots. I do love to talk about soil. So yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. really foundational. Everybody likes to say they've got a brown thumb or a black thumb. Mm -hmm. And my response is always, it's the soil. soil. You, yep. you have to just put that foundation there, just like a house, you know, put that good foundation and it will build from there up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our monthly garden chat. One of the things you may note when looking at our podcast, we have probably more people talking about soil than anybody else, than any other topic, because it is the single most important thing that you can do is build healthy soil, right? Right. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being out there, Janice, and supporting us in this, uh, everything we do here. And we will catch you guys next month. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. See y'all later. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.